Episode 029, Business Broken to Smoking Podcast. Josh Gordon here, joining us. Lodestone True North. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, We're talking about grit. Angela Duckworth. And uh, today we're jumping into part three, uh, which is growing grit from the outside in, right? Yes. So Josh Gordon joining us. Josh Gordon famously runs (laughs) Full Spectrum Marketing, Akron, Ohio. So uh, always great having you with us, buddy. Good to be here. So um, you've been digging this book? I really have. I've liked it quite a bit. Yeah. It's, it seems to me like a, the, the business book that should have been written, and we should have 40 years of data, yes. not six. Yes. But yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for what it can uncover. I loved how she said kind of in the conclusion um, that, uh, well, was it the conclusion or was it in the parenting, parenting chapter where she says, hey, I only have, there's all this data on parenting, mm-hmm. but not, and some data on grit, but no data on parenting and grit together mm-hmm. yeah. uh that was really interesting mm-hmm. and she was saying like give me 10 years and this is 2016 mm-hmm. i think when she wrote it so yeah. 2026 maybe we'll get some data on how parenting and grit fit together but i'll read the follow-up yeah that's for sure well so big takeaways from part three growing grit outside in what have what did you uh starting with takeaways so I've said to my kids for years, and I teach a Sunday school class, and I say the same thing in the Sunday school class. I say, you know, hey, your inputs become your outputs. So you have to be careful what you put in to your mind because it's going to become involuntarily what falls out of your mouth. So your inputs become your outputs, and that could be your friends that you're hanging around with. Uh, That could be what you're reading, what you're listening to, what you're watching on TV. Um, that is a huge part of how to be a successful human is understanding that your inputs become your outputs and then being choiceful about what those inputs are. I think that the part three in here really, for me, like validated that point of view um, with the notion that grit can be grown. And to me, that was one of the most important conclusions that, you know, you, you take the quiz on chapter or page 55 and it's like, it's not a, you know, a sentence. It's not a terminal condition that, like, this is your grit forever. The idea that you can grow it, but then, you know, mixing in that component of, well, your inputs become your outputs. Who are you surrounding yourself with that pushes you? Who uh, is persistent in how they do things? Who's passionate about what they do? And, you know, what's your bias and point of view on them? Are you teasing them because they care too much about that really niche thing? Or are you celebrating the fact that they're leaning fully into something and care that deeply about it and that you're picking up a lesson from that? Yeah, no, I, I, there was, I don't remember what chapter it was, uh, but uh, she was talking to one of the uh, swimming coach, uh, got one of the guys that did this, this study on swimmers, mm-hmm. and he was saying that... When the older guy came back and yeah, racing... Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, Mark Spitz. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a kid, I wonder if she was going to talk about Mark Spitz, because I was, I think it was at 76 Olympics, or was it 72? I don't know. It was one of those. I'll have to get out my history book, Mark. <laughs> I remember, uh, I think it was 76, because I was, I was eight years old in 76, and I remember Mark Spitz winning all these medals. Mm. And as a kid, swimming in the pond and whatever, I'm like, Mark Spitz, and I'm like, you know, because <laughs> my name's Mark and all that. I'm like, well, that's cool. And yeah. I would envision myself being a great swimmer. <laughs> 
Yeah. So. <laughs> How'd that work out? It was all right. <laughs> Get around the pool. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I do I like the okay. idea of, of he basically came back. This story from the book is he, he comes back. What is he, 55 years yeah, old? Yeah, something like and that. And he figures out how to get fast again. Yeah. Not by being young, but by being wise. Yes. And tapping into that, like, passion for what he's doing, and which forces you to pay attention to the details and that persistence, that yeah. perseverance, because yeah. you're driving towards something um, that looks and feels like success. Yeah. Well, so this coach guy had said, if you take a team that performs really well, that has a baseline performance that's high, and you put a lower performing swimmer in that team, they will rise mm-hmm. to the team level. Uh, and the inverse was true as well, where if you take a lower performing team and put one high performer in there, that one person's times will drop mm-hmm. to match the team. That the power of the team uh, is understated. Understated. Yeah, I think the point she's trying to make in the book, too, is this using grit as a filter to better understand and explain culture and building a culture and a team and a business, whatever it is. There's a lot of sports examples in here because that's a great, you know, microscope under which to study many cultures. So the Seattle Seahawks example, the University of North Carolina Mm -hmm. women's soccer team example, Mm -hmm. the Olympic swimmers, you know, and that example Mm -hmm. there's, and then, you know, it's peppered with quotes from John Wooden, legendary basketball coach from UCLA um, and so many undefeated teams and a great understander of people and how to motivate people. But it is true that, when you walk into a business, you feel that culture right away. And that if a culture has grit and resilience, it's probably been a business that's been there a while. Mm-hmm. And if it does not, you know, there's lots of turnover. All the things that we look at where we're seeing culture that's not a great business culture are present when grit is not present. Yeah. That's the point I think she's making scientifically. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed in all of her examples... Uh, and she kind of says it, not but not not overtly that I can tell, is that somebody has to have a really robust vision to 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 kind of go look. This is where we want to be. Here's why we want to be there. The the Seahawks are a great example of that. You know, of course, every pro football team wants to win the Super Bowl, but uh, whatever. 31 of them or how many teams are there you got it is there 32 yeah so 31 of them don't figure it out (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. one of them does uh and and there's a reason they do uh and and often and they all have some hey what do you what are we doing there well we want to win the super bowl but really there's some other competing vision that saps some of that drive energy unity whatever unity I think is often what it is because everybody's got an agenda, right? Yeah. So, you know, some of those guys, their, their goal isn't to win a Super Bowl yeah, and be part of that culture. Their fame, goal is to maximize, or, yeah, their influence, maximize their uh, take-home pay and, yeah. and uh, what, whatever it is yeah. that they're trying to accomplish outside. The game is a means to an end. Yeah. And I think what Pete Carroll's saying in his culture that, you know, there the game's not a means to an end. Like, this is why you're here. Yes. And if you're not here for this, then you're not 
thinking yeah. like we do, and therefore you're not on the team. Yeah. Well, and that's and I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that Pete Carroll laid down a hard line mm-hmm. and said, we are going to be like this. And he embodied that. He's mm-hmm. like, this is how it's going to be. And he got one of the things that really struck me um, was how when she went out there to work with them, that uh, the coaches would break into these spontaneous chants almost. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a cult. I mean, it's a cult kind of repeating of, a mantra, right? <laughs> yeah, but they all drank the Kool Aid, so to speak, where they're like, "We're all in on very this. culty." You're very, going with yes. very culty yeah, imagery. Right. It's just football. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> great well, and and they, you know, and even though you know winning's a big deal, they I, it seemed like as she talked about that team that they enjoyed the unity mm. as much or more than winning. You know that that was the feel or the I, I call it the afterglow almost like you know we're part of something way bigger than ourselves. One of the enemies that they're fighting against as a team is discord, mm. right? And so the, the culture and the mantras and the beliefs and all the posters and sayings that are up all over the buildings and all that stuff, all that's designed to reinforce that unity and to keep discord at bay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they went through something. And he personally went through something, and the book does a good job of working through this, where in one year they win the Super Bowl, the next year they're on the cusp, literally the like inch line of winning the Super Bowl. They have widely believed to be the best at the time running back in the NFL and Marshawn Lynch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beast Mode, you know, is his nickname, right. Right? Right, right? And there's a call on at the end of the game. You got one play to make it work and to try for, for a touchdown to win the game. And he calls a pass play. That doesn't work. A, a higher risk, low percentage play versus handing it off to beast mode guy, <laughs> letting him do the job. And, you know, he receives so much criticism for that. I mean, you know how fans are. They're just very understanding and welcoming. No, they as were. As long as you're winning. They were brutal. They were brutal to him. And yeah. he had to withstand all of that hate. You know, one of the great parts of being a leader. Uh, you know, is is uh, getting to withstand all of that hate yeah. and prove your metal. But he had a really good point of view on it. You know, when when talking about it, that that was a very defining and learning thing. He looked at it as this is a learning opportunity. Yeah. How do we build this culturally? See it through our culture, and then all get better from it. While he didn't shy away from the accountability um, for his making the call. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I respected the way that he handled that. Of course, they haven't been back to the Super Bowl since, you know, so these things do have consequences and accountability to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, you know, he handled it, I think, healthily as a, as a human, it seems. Yeah. yeah. Which ultimately is more important, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, so he, he was able to kind of cast a vision for mm-hmm. the team and embody that vision. Um, there was something she talked about in the parenting section, um, imitate versus emulate or imitate leads to emulate. And, uh, you see that with Pete Carroll's stuff. You see it with the North Carolina stuff. You see it with the West Point stuff. Um, uh, she talks about, what's the name? Jamie Dimon, the, uh, Chase Chase Bank guy. Um, where they they all do a great job of saying, this is how we're going to do this. 
this is how we're going to act. This is where we're going and why. And then um, folks, I'm, I'm not going to say imitate. I think that's like a little kid thing, like a two or three year old. But they begin to emulate. They go, oh, all right, we're going to act like that. Okay. And they, and they through, I would say, through respect, uh, through trust, not, you know, authoritarianism or, or coercion, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of go, well, get folks to follow them. And get folks to go, okay, I think I, I think I believe you. You know, I want to act like that too. Uh, and that was really, that was really interesting to see that, uh, I don't know, case study might be a little strong, but, and when you're talking about a business, this is a huge problem with a business is the soft culture. And I would say soft in the, in the way of like, not reliable, mm you know, uh, spotty culture, mm-hmm. you know, where, or self-serving culture or occasional, occasional culture, culture sure. of convenience. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in these things as long as they serve this moment. Yeah. And I see it a lot of times with an owner or a leader where they're complaining about the culture. They are the culture. And they are the culture. It's like, well, buddy, you're kind of, you're kind of like, saying this but your real reason is this i think that's a such a hard thing that you have to keep thinking about as a leader of anything if you're complaining about something and it's unconstructive then you are you know that's happening elsewhere in your business amongst your team amongst clients maybe and so it you're because you're the leader so you have to be very conscious of the actions and, and have message discipline and thoughts to your point as a communications person, I have to see it through that view. Part of the challenge is like, am I staying on message? You know, if I believe this and this is who I am, am I finding every opportunity I can to reintroduce it, introduce it, validate it, you know, continue to preach the same thing because it takes a long time for people to internalize that. Some people have a superpower where they can hear something once and internalize it. And then it becomes part of how they view things and how they do things. We have a couple people on the FSM team that are so good at that. And I admire that as a superpower. But most people don't have that. You know, that's why it's an elite way to do things. Most people, it takes a long time and they have to kind of wrestle with it. Or, you know, they're toe dipping into it or they're deciding if they believe or not. They don't have enough experience to know if it's the right thing. And so they're having to extend a lot of trust. And maybe they're not trustworthy, you know, yet because they're insecure about something. So there's a lot of just like mental goop uh, that goes on with this stuff, which is why the only thing you can control as a leader is, are you on message? Are you can, being consistent with your actions and what you're saying and how you're holding people accountable? Yeah. That's the only thing you can control, but that is the culture. That is what you're creating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and a lot of leaders uh, are, are a little uh, split on what their true motivation is. Mm. And I think they're, the folks in the organization can sense that, mm-hmm. and they're and they're kind of calling BS when the leader goes, "Hey, everybody needs to be bought in on, blah blah blah," and this is why we need to have this gritty, you know, buy-in. And I think folks are like, "Yeah, so you can sell the company, or so you can make more money, more buy money another car, or whatever." Buy. Yeah, and it and they don't believe it, you know. Mm-hmm. I love the parenting part here. Which what chapter was it? Ten, chapter ten, where she. Uh, she talks about again that imitate or emulate, and then also the authoritarian versus authoritative. 
Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah. Um, that the authoritative is like, no, this is this is confidence. It's guardrails. Yeah. You're, 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 you yeah. have a position of authority. Could be moral authority. Yeah. Could be decision-making authority. But you're sure. putting the guardrails up yeah. so people know the parameters yeah. they have. That's right. It could be ownership. It could be like, hey, this I own the results of this. And so I'm going to create real guardrails, to your point. Um, and maybe I have the final say in this or mm-hmm. something. But it's not like, darn it, I'm going to make you blah, blah, blah. You can't, like, that's not, that is a, uh, that is a uh, high dollar, low payoff approach, right? It crushes a lot of things. So, Well, to your point about imitating earlier, too, authoritatives will say, do it this way. Do it, do it, do it. And they'll make you do it. You know, that authoritarian, rather, not authoritative. The authoritarian person will do that. They'll dictate it to you and demand it. Right, and so yeah. you feel the accountability, but yeah. it's not a choice; yeah. it's an obligation, and that is a recipe for a culture that'll crumble. You know, mm-hmm. the authoritative, or as she calls in the book, the wise mm-hmm. person, yes. is saying, "Well, here are the boundaries, mm. and then here's what our goal is, and then you figure out how to get there mm-hmm. within these boundaries." Mm-hmm. And I'll ask you prodding questions along the way. So whether it's a parent or a business, I mean, it mm-hmm. works in both. I like her teasing out the definition of a parent mm-hmm. uh, because managers really are parents and leaders are parents. She talks about it as mm-hmm. it derives from a Latin term that means to bring forth. Right. That's right. What was yeah, the, what, I love did that. Did she say the Latin word there? I don't remember. She didn't say the Latin word and I don't speak it, <laughs> <laughs> but neither does anybody else. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's a dead language, but the idea yeah. to bring forth, um, I, I like that because that's what coaches should do. You do that very well. That's what managers do. That's what leaders do. That's what we should do for each other. Teams, yeah. good cultures, that's what they do for each other. They bring forth the best traits yeah. and the best lessons and the, and the soft landing spots after a tough lesson. Mm. You know, This is what parents do too, but there's so many analogies between the two. Yeah. I thought it was really smart of her to put a whole chapter in here about parenting and have it still be related, not just to her thesis on grit, but also to the, all the business people reading this going, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. It was interesting how she kind of teased that out where she said, uh, I get admirals, I get you know CEOs, I get uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, asking me once a week, but every day, twice a day, three times a day, somebody, it's, it's around parenting. How do I... Yeah. increase the grit of my kids i hope more parents are asking that question yeah. oh, as someone who hires people i i sat down with my wife um the first time i read this i'm i'm on my third pass through it now uh, and i said man tony I, th- I think we screwed up <laughs> a couple <laughs> things big things you know like we didn't we missed here and we missed here and missed here because of this study and this study and this study um uh, now, since then, one of my, uh, Scarlett, uh, my third, uh, called me, and she, she had read Grit a few years ago. Huh. I think that's where I initially came across it. I was trying to remember who turned me on to it originally. Um, and she was like, you know, Dad, you made us do all these things. Not made like authoritarian made, but, but I was confident, and like, this is going to be fine. She's like, you got us to do all these different things. And she started rattling off these things. Like, you know, we raised the kids with horses, so they're constantly going out and feeding and watering and chasing around loose horses. <laughs> you know, probably 10 times, man, I'd have the sheriff out there. Like, hey, uh, there's a horse on the highway. Is it yours? I'm like, well, no, I think it's my neighbor's. <laughs> but... 
you know, uh, and then we took them camping all the time and we got them involved in lots of hobby type stuff. Not so much sports. I was feeling like, man, we should have done more sports. Mm -hmm. But we had a ton of hobbies that we brought all the kids into from art stuff, music stuff, hunting, fishing, camping, horse riding type stuff. We made a bunch of camping gear. I would pull them in on that and, you know, first aid kits and stuff. like. Just always doing stuff with them. Um, and she reminded me of all that. And I was like, well, okay, that's cool. All right, I guess I forgot you about that. You brought forth yeah. useful lessons. Yeah. I loved, I, well, I looked at this, uh, I don't know if I loved it. It freaked me out, actually. <laughs> the uh, test, did you, did you uh, on two, page 214. Yeah, I'm there. The supportive... Uh, w- respectful, supportive, warm, and then demanding like the questions. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I, if I want my kids to take this. And my youngest is 19. So there's, you know, from 31 to 19. So the ship has sailed, you know, <laughs> long ago. I don't know but, about uh, that. I mean, I, you know, my kids aren't as old, right? My, my wingspan is eight to 15. But the sense I get is that you know, kids are going to be your kids forever. That's right. And Never so done. there's, parenting. I'm thinking about everything I'm learning at the age I'm at now and going, man, you know, they're going to be right there yeah. with me yeah. and I'll have all these opportunities to keep yeah. teaching them. The most important thing is that they know that they're loved Yeah, and uh, that I can control. Right. Yeah. So I, I expect to keep, so you're right. They're older, but maybe that makes them more able to hear yeah. some of the lessons. I looked at that part and thought, man, this is reassuring. Hmm. I love that these are questions there. This reassures me because sometimes I feel like my posture is a little bit too demanding because I tend to have a really high bar for myself and I have a hard time modulating that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I'm working on that actively. But I, I, what I didn't know about this is, you know, I'm kind of unsure when the yield is. Mm. You know, if you're following these, these notions of like, am I being warm, respectful, and demanding? You know, demanding, maybe firm, is another, you know, you're creating accountability, hmm. right? So that that's that other part of it. But how do you know you did it enough hmm. or well, or when do you get to see that manifest? I think it's going to come in these sparks, hmm. right? These moments that are yeah. not predictable. Hmm. You're just going to see it happen, and you'll have to just give yourself a little mental, good job, hmm. you know, or give your wife a little mental, hey, good job on that you know i see your fingerprints on that yeah you know that that epiphany that they just had was because we were warm we were respectful and we were demanding Mm -hmm. yeah if you so if you think about this quiz or questionnaire or whatever uh you could take it in regard to your parents Mm. uh, and and where would you put oh boy (laughs) <laughs> and you know and these are these are four uh, so the on a quadrant is that what we call this right this quadrant these yeah. four these two intersecting yeah. mm-hmm. lines so one line the up and down line or the what do you call that horizontal no vertical the vertical line the is supportive and then the horizontal line is demanding mm-hmm. and so if you move along that uh the line of demanding and up the line of supportive, you end up with wise in that upper right upper quadrant, right. Mm-hmm. which is so, the authoritative in her original. Yes, not authoritative, wording, but wise yes. is is the language yeah. change, and I think it's a good one. 
Well, so I was as I was reading these questions. Uh, well, let's read them. So uh, first one's a warm. Uh, a warm is, and this is a kid. You're, you're asking a kid this, and the kid is answering these questions. Uh, and then she says a couple of these are what she call them inversely coded or reverse coded. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so I can count on my parents to help me out if I have a problem. I thought about my kids. Like, okay, well, then I thought about me as a kid. Like, oh, that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, different story. Um, second question, my parents spend time just talking to me. Third, uh, my parents and I do things that are fun together. And the reverse coded is uh, my parents don't really like me to tell them my troubles. And lastly, my parents hardly ever praise me for doing well. So I suppose you could, I don't know, put a score on the score of 1 to 10 or always, sometimes, never, mm-hmm. or something like that. So what do you think your kids would say to that? Oh, man, about I mean, me or about my wife? Or, yeah. on the spot. Just a little bit. See, I shifted in my chair for watching the video, so you see how uncomfortable I got. A little. What are you, what are you doing, Mark? I have no idea. You know, and I really should go through the exercise of asking my yeah. kids this. Yeah. I can tell you that, you know, my wife, they, I know exactly how they answer it for Tara. Mm. And it's probably funny because she could probably look at the same set of questions and go, I know how they'd answer it for you. Mm-hmm. Because I see all the effort that she puts in, and I see how they look at her, how they count on her. And her capabilities are far beyond mine. Hmm. Um, you know, her natural talent, but also her like parental grit is very high. Hmm. Um, and she's very keen on this, on this notion of, of warm, Hmm. um, very keen on it. And, and she does a good job of, you know, when she has to be firm, she also like, they have fun with her. You know, we, over the break, we just recently had kids had a couple days off of school. She's doing this art hub thing Hmm. with the girls. Hmm. Uh, my girls are, you know, uh, 11 and eight mm-hmm. at this recording. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's doing this drawing thing mm-hmm. with, with them. And they're all on the same level, same playing field. So she's kind of swimming in their world. That's and fun. then they're all doing the coloring together and, and they're having conversation about it and accommodating each other's needs. And I mean, she's an extraordinary person and an extraordinary parent. So I know that mm-hmm. she would get all the, all the high marks yeah. on warm. Yeah. I admire her. In a lot of ways, but particularly on this one, because she's good at creating that culture of warmness and, you know, feeling comfortable and feeling loved. Yeah. What about the next one? Respectful. My parents believe I have a right to my own point of view. Uh, Reverse code. My parents tell me that their ideas are correct and that I shouldn't question them. Uh, My parents respect my privacy. My parents give me a lot of freedom and then reverse code. My parents make the most, make most of the decisions about what I can do. So you think about your 15 year old and I, I've, we've had this situation lately, especially with older kids. Uh, so my youngest being 19, we've had significant conversations about various beliefs and approaches and theories and philosophies and so forth. And I have, I know my wife has had to do more of this uh, in this particular instance, but to say, you know, you have a right to believe whatever you want. And that's something that is a little bit of a new, that didn't fit in our hands very well (laughs) when they were younger. Right. You know, uh, and, and especially as teenagers. You know what I'm saying, and, and I don't, and I think I would, I would love to have a redo on that, 
uh, not so much to say, hmm. you got to believe this stuff and here's why, but to kind of like win their trust more uh, and give them a little more space. What is that age, that level of maturity where you transition from, no, you need to do it this way yeah. because I actually know what I'm talking about. I think it depends and, on what we're talking. And I'm respecting event. your desires and yeah. what you think is right. Yeah. An example recently, because I struggle with this one. Yeah. Example recently with one of my kids where the we were having breakfast. We have breakfast every morning together at 635 in the morning. It's very Von Trapp-like. The whistle goes, yeah, all the right. kids convene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, They're wearing lederhosen. It's quite nice. Uh, yeah. So no, they, we, we all converge on the table at 635, and a few of us have cereal. A few of us yeah. have, like, waffles, oatmeal, yeah. eggs, whatever it is. Yeah. We all kind of do our thing. And, you know, I always bring the milk to the table. And yeah. this particular day was the expiration day for the milk. Okay. And so I'm like, all right, well, last chance saloon here. You know, I'm, I'm pouring these things yeah. in. And I had one of my kids go, I'm not drinking that milk. Hmm. And I'm like, why aren't you drinking the milk? Well, because of the sell-by date. Well, he didn't say sell-by date. He says, because it's expired. Mm-hmm. That was his view. And this is at 6.35 in the morning. So, you know, I guess at 12.01, the milk spoiled. <laughs> you know, so I'm That's thinking. That's how that works. That's why I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't know. Yeah. I, I, my bad. It's magic. It's- <laughs> but I'm thinking, like, scientifically, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I want to be respectful, right? But if how is he, how is that kid answering these questions? My parents believe I have the right to my own view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that moment, I did not believe he had the right yeah. to his own view. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be wasteful of the milk. That's the view. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the view isn't, you know, it expired because because I know it's in his head. Yeah. Probably does taste fine. I'm here today. This was yesterday, and I, yeah. you know, feel fine. <laughs> but uh, you know, but that's the that's the thing is I don't know that age cutoff because. You know, my wife was right there saying, like, if he thinks it's that way, it's he thinks it's that way. Yeah. And I'm going like, yeah, I guess you're right. Even if I think it's cuckoo, like, I got to give him space. Yeah. But, like, what's that line? I think it's a – for me, it's a hard thing. I don't yeah. know if it's a hard thing sure. for everybody else. But I'm telling you, at this age and stage, yeah. for me, it's hard to reconcile. That takes yeah. a lot of thinking. I'm not in that, like, muscle memory reaction <laughs> yeah. phase yet with this one. I'm, I'm yes. still working on it. That's one of the things about these kind of books that can be a little misleading because it kind of like lays out some stuff in some fairly clean parameters and it just ain't clean. Right. I mean, it's messy and, and, uh, or it is clean and my view of it is messy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, but you need that, you need that example. Again, it's guardrails, right? You know, I, I don't think it's one of those things where it's yeah. the principle behind this is right. Yeah, a child needs to at some point look at his parents and go, "They respect me." Yeah, and it's right in that moment that I'm fighting on something that ultimately isn't really going to be a battle that's worthwhile. Yeah, it it would feel more respectful to him if I said, you know, if that's your opinion, I I can honor your opinion even though I don't agree. Yeah, and he doesn't have to drink the milk. You know, well, so there's a way to yeah. manage it better. Sure. You know, so I, maybe it's not as messy. I just think I'm still messy in how I'm looking at it. Yeah. I'm trying to clean it up. Well, that's, yeah, it's, it's all real interesting. I mean, the, the difference between authoritarian and authoritative in that situation might be right. authoritarian is like, well, this is my house and this is my milk. And if you don't, 
you know, just go out to the cow and get more than. Yeah, right. Or you can buy it yourself, or you're okay. going hungry, or all that. That's the knee jerk. That's what I heard growing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and sure. so I'm, I'm also yeah. like, that's another factor yeah. where I'm like, all right, you know, yeah. like I don't want that, yeah, <laughs> you know, inflicted well, on my kids. And that's not trust engendering. Nobody's gonna get some kid to go, ah, oh, gee, dad, thanks for helping, helping a fellow out, you know? Right. Like, now I believe you, you know? And it's like, no. Gee whiz, thanks for the science lesson, dad. Yeah. Gee, Wally, dad should that. drink the milk. <laughs> yeah. Sell by dates, just g- general. It's more important. <laughs> Plus or minus three days. Well, and that's the thing, though, that I do think the book gets right, yeah. is that it's taking that longitudinal view. Yeah. Right? It's that longer term concept of in the long run, it's more important that your kid and you have a respectful relationship yeah. than you win that milk argument. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Like you that's might right. be right. Yeah. But you're you're wrong about the big picture. So that, to me, that's part of the lesson that yeah. like surfaces out from from these questions, which is partly what makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, that tells me that that's where the learning is, right? Yeah. That's where that discomfort tells me that's where I gotta push through and do the learning. Yeah. And that's on me to do. Yeah. Well, on the authoritative side, I would think of this, at least from my parenting kind of theory, would be more like, well, you can make that decision within these guide rails, parameters, uh, and figuring out which hill am I going to die on here. Exactly. You know, and what is, it, what is it that I actually own as a dad, as a husband, whatever? Like, wh- what, what vision do I have? And this is where I think it gets down to kind of brass tacks, mm. is... Do you have a vision for your family, for your kids, or are you just trying to stay upright or stay afloat? And survival versus survival. flourishing with that vision. Yeah. And I think sometimes... Because it comes to one of those two things from yeah. a family standpoint. Yeah, sure. You're either making, we're surviving decisions or yeah. you're making, we're trying to flourish. Yes. You don't have to fully flourish, whatever that yeah. definition is, yeah. but are you trying? Are your yeah. decisions oriented in that direction? I think sometimes kids have, whether they know it or not, I, I think usually they don't know it, but it, they have this intuitive sense of like, I don't think dad knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or I don't. You're right. They are discerning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think some little trigger goes off inside, which is like, you should probably should, you should probably should like stand your ground here, <laughs> you know, and push back or something. Uh, and they maybe do it, you know, immaturely. Especially if they're like eleven or three or whatever, but uh, but to be able to have a strong, like confident, strong sense of hey kids, this is where we're going and why, and and then to go and this is why I'm not going to die on the milk hill <laughs> or why right. I'm, I may die on the milk hill. She talks about somewhere in here how. We have a really bad, we're really bad at assessing other parents in the cereal aisle. Mm. You know, when the mom's addressing the kid or the dad's addressing the kid. Uh, because we don't understand, we don't have the context. I just had this experience on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we had Thanksgiving plans to travel. They fell through. Um, and so we decided to call the Audible to do a staycation on Thanksgiving. Mm. And my strong desire to not do an hour's worth of dishes was an influence in the fact that we went to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, one of my kids has, um, you know, some, some challenges in combined ADHD, sensory processing mm. disorder, anxiety, some things like that that we're working with. Cal- we're, we're I thought working you were talking through. about a kid. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> the kid too. <laughs> uh, but you know, it was one of those situations where the thing that she had her mind on, yeah, getting there wasn't available. And so for her, she has challenges that make that a difficult thing to process Mm -hmm. for her. And so, you know, she becomes dysregulated. Mm -hmm. Her behavior becomes dysregulated, right? So if you've read up on this stuff, the psychology parts of it, she becomes dysregulated and you cannot get her back into an understanding mindset until you've regulated her emotional state, which requires love. It doesn't require the like, you know, yelling at them, quit doing this, grabbing by the arm, whatever it is. No, you have to like make them feel loved yeah. and comfortable and it's okay. And I'm going to get you through this and empathy, it's fine. Right? I, empathy, right? Exactly. Yeah. In that moment, mm. the waitress looked at the way that we were approaching the situation and looked at my daughter mm. with like, oh, that's spoiled brat. Mm. I could see it in her eyes. So you're right. I mean, I experience this all the time. And I'm thinking, well, there's multiple diagnoses and some challenges. And she's a wonderful kid. And we're working through these things with her. She's so smart. Mm. You know, and we just need to help unlock that, right? Bring it forth as parents. That's our job. Her job in that moment isn't to bring it forth. Her instinct was, just give me your order. Yeah. Right. So I, I do understand where she's coming from. But I think, to me, I took that as a little lesson I tucked away that... You know, my encounters, the things that I, I need to be thinking about that, that there's probably, I was an Einstein or whoever said, be kind to whoever you meet because they're all going through something mm. and they're trying their best at it. It's a paraphrasing, a hack job mm. paraphrasing of it. But it, that is a truth in it. And she does point it out in here. And, and now I've like experienced this just a few days ago. Mm. Uh, it is amazing. You see yeah. the world a little differently when you see people just being impatient with it. And mm. it's hard to be, to bring it back gritty in that moment yeah because i have to as a parent be gritty i'm on her side i'm on the side of what's right for our long-term relationship and her long-term development yeah and if i can hit those two factors in that moment by digging my heels in and being a protector then it's the right thing to do yeah that's great i think that's one of the i don't know if she said this well but and i'm glad you i'm glad you brought it up this way uh, but in gritting, parenting in a gritty way, it comes down to doing the hard stuff when you don't feel like it. Oh, yeah. You know, and you just want to quit. And you want to veg out or cop out or sub out or yell or check out or whatever. There's a hundred ways to screw that up. It's the hardest it's job hard. in the world Absolutely. with the least qualifications. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is a really cool uh, little exercise on 214 to just kind of poke. I, I think I'm going to ask my kids to take this questionnaire, see what they, you know, f- put some numbers to it somehow, you know. I think you got to have some context, just like the grit test early on. What is it, 55? Page 55. you got to have some context. you got to kind of go as a whatever you call it, as a business owner or as a dad or as a uh practitioner of this hobby i think you take the same test with a different filter on your mind yep because my test my grit test as a parent Mm -hmm. would be different than my grit test as a business leader of an organization how would it be different for you it my job as a business leader is to have the vision Mm -hmm. and so my grittiness around that my persistence in seeing it through my passion for it mm-hmm. is is very apparent and has to be on full display, is on full display, whether I like it or not, at all times. Mm. 
you know, and for me, even though there's a partner in the business and we work together, this is a shared focus, shared vision for a uniform. Mm-hmm. For home, it's a little bit different because there's certain things I bring to the table as a parent, a gritty person, and there's certain things that if I brought the grit hardcore <laughs> that I produce in my business world to the family, it would be toe-stepping, it would be overstepping, it would be not the right thing for that moment. Mm-hmm. And so I have to modulate that and align it to the appropriate outcome Mm -hmm. and then be self-reflective enough to know that I don't need, I'm not burdened with bringing all the grit here. Mm -hmm. You know, I just pointed out supportive warm, not my bailiwick. Mm -hmm. You know, I learn a lot and I try to imitate there. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm trying to be gritty in that way and bring the fire there, I'm creating collateral damage I don't want. So I need to have a posture of listening and partnership and uh, just to have a different approach, you know, and the gritty approach about persistence, you know, all day passion is something where I think it's a little bit differently aligned in business than it would be at home. At least that's my read on it. Yeah. What'd you think about that hard thing rule of hers? I think it's in chapter 11. Uh, I love it. Feel. Yeah, I love it. The idea, I think the idea of the hard thing rule is that, you know, there were three factors mm-hmm. um, and, of the three factors, one of them had to do with you have to care about it. And one of them had to do with you can't quit it when it gets hard. Yeah. Because, you know, I see this a lot and you see it, you know, as a dad, I'm sure too. I see it as a dad. Somebody has a bad day at something and they're going, I'm just done with this thing. Yeah. I want to quit it. I don't want to be part of it anymore. I had a bad day with it. Mm-hmm. And one of her uh, elements of the hard thing rule, this is something that we do in my household and we didn't even know we were doing it. And then I read it in the book and I was like, all right, we got, we got one right. <laughs> you know, Because there's times where you know, my son will come, one of my sons will come and say, like, I really want to quit this you know, extracurricular thing I'm in or whatever it is. And it's like, you had a bad day. That's true. Let's understand that, swim in it for a minute, and then put it behind us because you're not allowed to quit right now. You have to see it through all the way because you made a commitment. Yeah. And the commitment is more important than the bad day. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that understanding, though, has helped. And now I see that kid persisting in things and trying things and elevating his status in things from year to year. I think that's another part of the, yeah. the idea of persistence is you try one thing one time, and then how do you get better at it year yeah. after year after year? And you know, seeing that happen, I see it happen in my daughters in their dance mm. and how they're doing dance or getting more opportunities yeah. and accomplishing things and all that. Sure. So I think there are certain things, cultures of extracurriculars, cultures of things that are wired for that. Mm-hmm. And the, the key for a parent in that moment or a business leader in that moment, to put it in that world, is... Quitting isn't always the right answer, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes it is the right answer, yeah, but it's sure. not always the right answer. And that hard rule in there does create some boundaries around where quitting is permitted. Mm-hmm. Well, so the first step in the hard thing rule is that everyone in the household has to do a hard thing. And she defines a hard thing as something that requires daily deliberate practice. Uh, so one kid's doing piano, one kid's doing cello, I think, uh, another, uh, she's, um, she's learning and practicing yoga and her husband, I don't know, was doing something with real estate, some hobby or something. And the second rule was you can't quit in the middle. There has to be, you have to commit yourself to a natural stopping point at, at end of the tuition, end of the season. Yeah, I like that right. natural stuff. So, These are our natural points where things yep. can conclude. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, and then the third was that you pick. It's your choice to pick something. It's, it's something you're interested in. It's not something that the parent stuffs up your nose. Uh, because I did this when I was growing up, right. or whatever. Um, so, which is a passion thing yeah. for her, because yeah. you can't force a passion on something. That's right. That's right. So I, I said to my, I said to my wife, I'm like, hey, I'm ready to, I'm like ready to dial this up. One of, for me personally, one of my big takeaways from the whole book, uh, from my own world, is that I have wussed out on a bunch of things. <laughs> Um, because I tend to do, I tend to do things based on talent. Like, and she says that early in the book, like Mm -hmm. talent's a bit of a, it messes with your compass. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I just, there are some things I was really good at and I didn't have to practice or I didn't have to, you know, and I just like, and I, I just kind of got lazy, um, and would, would quit things when it got hard. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and stuck with the things I was just naturally good at. And um, that has crept through my entire life. And I'm like, man, so this weekend, uh, you know, I maintenance on things is something that I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can fix stuff. Cause I, I'm, I'm kind of like a MacGyver type. I could kind of like figure it out and fix it. But I'm like, like MacGruber. MacGruber. You know, <laughs> So when it comes to like, hey, it's time to just take care of that thing, I'm just like, nah, that sounds boring. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's not exciting or whatever. And I, so I, I just, I just like mail it in. Uh, so anyway, this I took the day off yesterday and fixed a bunch of things mm. just because, I'm like, well, I probably just should. And so I fixed a bunch of, you know. I have a generator I fixed and a lawnmower I fixed and a, you know, some other outdoor stuff. I have this big plumbing snake that broke that I needed to fix. And, you know, when you own a couple of properties and blah, 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 you got to have some of the stuff. And I have a contracting background and, and I have all these busted tools and all this busted stuff. And I'm like, well, I should probably fix a bunch of this stuff. And I took the whole day and I've just told myself, shut up, just work through it, push through it. Like, don't, you know. Don't mail this one in. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for me. Yeah. Uh, it, it really rubbed me the wrong way uh, because I'm like, well, I want to go do something fun. I want to do something interesting. And this isn't it, you know? And then looking back over my life, uh, especially as a teenager, there was a bunch of time, there were a bunch of things that I quit. Actually, my, my dad made me quit because I got C's in some class i didn't do well in high school so i was a c student basically it was boring to me and um and i didn't have any sense of purpose either mm-hmm. i had no like why are we doing this right. it did not connect <laughs> and if somebody could have connected the dots for me i'm like oh okay and then i yeah. would have really given it my all and i would have done fine. i felt that way strategically so yeah. I felt that way, like in trigonometry class. Yeah, right. I never took. It. I never took it. I'm yeah, like, I, I'm watching, if I I'm could like, have never taken it, I would have never taken it. But I took physics. I took physics in tenth grade because I'm like, huh, this is how things work. This is mm-hmm. interesting. It's interesting. It made sense to me somehow. But then I'm like, oh, there's all this math. Shoot, <laughs> you know, formulas. Ah, uh, yeah. 
So uh, my son, my youngest, uh, we homeschooled all our kids, and now he just went through Khan Academy uh, and, like, got all the way up to, you know, whatever's after algebra. He went, and he just self-did it. I'm like, you did? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I just figured I need to brush up on all my algebra. You know, I'm like, well, that's cool. One of the things we tried to do in, does that? in homeschooling, <laughs> I told my kids, I'm like, hey, there are a lot of things you can learn as a grown-up, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you cannot unlearn as a grown-up. Mm. And my goal in homeschooling is to keep the things you can't unlearn away from you and make it so that the things you didn't learn, you can always learn later. Mm. You know, So I want to teach you how to be a learner. That was that was my goal. Lifelong learning is yeah. more important than a college degree. Yes, like you can always go back a and get commitment those. to getting better, to yep. wanting to learn more. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I my big takeaway from this book for me personally is, dude, man up and get through some stuff you don't like, mm. and and you know it's things it's stuff in my business that I just kind of like, eh, that doesn't sound interesting, and so I just don't do it very well. Um, it's stuff in my marriage, it's stuff in parenting, it's stuff with my budget, it's stuff with my property, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of ways that I've just kind of gone, man, I have really kind of like wussed out on some stuff and, um, but to go, well, what's my big vision for my life? And to go back to that and say, all right, this, is this big vision worth this hard work of tomorrow? This hard work of next week. Yes or no? Uh, and then if it's no, chuck it. Chuck the thing. Sub it out. Sell it. Whatever. Uh, that was one of my yes, big takeaways. Dive in. Yeah. Yeah. The number one takeaway I wrote down was don't underestimate the value of discernment. Mm. Because one of the things I think that is a challenge with grit is you might read this book and you might read it sparingly, certain parts, and just go all in on some thinking. Mm. And if you have that superpower of internalizing something very quickly... You could end up in trouble hmm. and uh, because you're just pounding away, <laughs> persisting on something that isn't worth persisting on. Hmm. And I know that for me, that's one of, that's one of the challenges I s- sniffed out right away hmm. after taking the test was like, hmm. okay, but sometimes I stick with things too long. And sometimes things need to come to a natural yeah. conclusion and they're the wrong things to persist on, even if you're passionate about it. Yeah. Maybe your passion's a little bit misaligned. Yeah. So I think having that idea of, you know, you know, grit on its own that mix of passion and perseverance is not the standalone component of character she says it in her conclusion that the yeah. character is a plurality of things which yes. is completely true yeah. in my view but not to be uh, overlooked to me yeah. and really cultivate something worth cultivating to a, could be a companion for grit is discernment what are yeah. the things worth yeah. my passion and persistence yeah. because not everything is yeah i love that i think that discernment's a great a great uh balancer here because grit and ocd look very similar yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying they it's like, can i'm yeah. not gonna obsession quit. i gotta do it this way Grit could be obsession absolutely very easily but with discernment you're saying no if i don't do this i won't get there with ocd you're like i don't know why i'm not gonna why i'm gonna stop doing this or start doing this you know you just can't help it I, it's like you're you're compelled by something yeah irrational yeah i was saying before we started that one of the most important chapters in this book i don't know if it gets overlooked or not but 
to me, one of the most important chapters is the goal setting chapter mm-hmm. yeah. because it contextualizes and aligns appropriately how to focus mm-hmm. your grit because unfocused yeah, grit is dangerous. That's great. Obsessive. Yes. I love the thing uh, that she talks about. I think it's in the conclusion, uh, the last kind of chapter, 13, conclusion. <laughs> 13. It is entitled conclusion. Yes. Um, and it was that character, what did she call it? The uh, uh, virtue, virtue clusters, mm-hmm. I think is what she called them. And um, she used some kind of high-powered words like intra and inter, uh, interpersonal, intrapersonal, mm-hmm. and intellectual. Mm-hmm. I think those are the three clusters. And thankfully, she re- reworded those and said, oh, uh, will, um, heart, and mind. Mm-hmm. So character qualities of the will, the heart, and mind. And she basically said, look, uh, grit is a big deal, but it's not the biggest deal. Um, and it kind of is trumped by character qualities of the heart, moral, uh, moral character. One of the things um, that I was thinking about this morning and that I want to ask you about is this word character is kind of a loaded word. You know, I mean, like, what does that mean? What He's is quite a character? <laughs> what is character? <laughs> right. Like, what is, how do you, like, we kind of go, hey, does he have character? Or what is a, what is moral character? And we kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know, I don't really know how to define that. So I've thought about this before. And I, for me, character comes down to three things. It comes down, uh, you know, number one, to integrity. That idea of doing the right thing even when no one's looking. Mm. Someone's always looking or someone will discover. So integrity to me is a component of that. But it's not something you broadcast. It's just something you are and do. Mm. The second component is the ability to create clarity. Mm. You have character if you can make things clear for others. People view that that way. And I think that's useful and worthwhile, especially with integrity in the mix. And the last part for me is moral authority. Mm. You have this moral authority, especially if you're a leader. You know, if you want to be, to me, if I want to be a man of character, I need to do the right thing all the time, even when it's hard. I need to be able to create clarity for others around me, and I need to be unquestioned in my motivations, you know, which is that moral authority. No one should look at me and go, I don't really know why he's doing that. You know, it should be above board. It should be aligned with my grit, my passions, my purpose in life as well. So those are the three things for me when I think of character. It's that clarity, integrity, moral authority. That's the mix I look at. Any things you're going to change in your life after reading this book? So two things come to mind. Uh, One thing that comes to mind is, and I can't remember which chapter it's in, and it may be from the chapters that I wasn't, you know, wasn't supposed to talk about today. <laughs> you can talk about it. <laughs> right. uh, but this, this idea of um, the relationship between poverty and opportunity. Mm. You know, I, I do a lot of work in uh, community foundation work. I do a lot with education and nonprofit. It's a huge part of my life purpose mm-hmm. and why I'm on earth to begin with and why I've been given the gifts that I Mm -hmm. feel like I've been given, trying to use them to the best of my abilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, understanding that relationship and the opportunity to apply grit isn't available to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I look at that and go, man, that's worth something. That's something worth working on that Mm -hmm. maybe gets overlooked a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea of grit, it's very academic and pinky out. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in if but it needs to be rooted in how things actually are. Pinky out like like holding a tea teacup. Yeah, like you know, we're here yeah. amongst the elites discussing oh, this yeah. academic concept, yeah. and you know, and that's you know, it could be viewed that way. Mm-hmm. And to me, to make grit gritty, <laughs> mm-hmm. we got to bring it to the areas where its application is harder, because that hard stuff is where the character building happens, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so the truth is, there's people growing up in poverty that don't have the well. Do I choose the violin, the cello, the commercial real estate, or mm-hmm. right. you know, or the piano? Right. No, they're like. I don't know which dumpster to get food out of tonight. Yeah. That's a real part of communities, every community that we're in and surrounded by. And so, you know, one of the things to me was how do we extend this opportunity to understand grit beyond, you know, the people yeah. that have the ability to access this content yeah. and read it. Yeah. Uh, that felt very convicting to me uh, because we work with so many school districts at FSM. So many of those school districts have high instances of poverty. 70 plus percent mm-hmm. of the students are on free and reduced lunch, which is based on where the family household is on the poverty line. Mm-hmm. So understanding how to communicate with uh, those communities um, and giving them access to this kind of thinking, I think is really important societally. So that was something I took out of it. I haven't riddled it all the way. I haven't solved it all the way, but I'm convicted by it and conscious of it. Hmm. So that was one thing for me. Hmm. The That's other good. thing for me was was this uh, word, uh, Sisu. Hmm. Man, I like this yeah. word. And what country was that? Was it Finland? Finland. Okay. Finland. So it, hmm. during the Soviet uh, Finnish War, the hmm. Winter War, I think it was called, uh, 1938, 1940 time frame, um, before Hitler's full rise to power in, in Europe. Um, the idea of, of, you know, Finland should have been overrun by the Soviets. They had more people, more tanks, mm. more. I think in, in the book she gives, it was an article written from, um, mm. in Time Magazine in 1940, mm. uh, talking about this word, Sisu. Mm. And this is the Finnish word that translated literally means the Finnish spirit. But the idea behind it, it was sort of encapsulating something that was quite obvious to the observers in Time Magazine who were writing this article that the Soviets should have destroyed Finland. It should have been a layup, right? Mm -hmm. There's just a huge division between just number of people, industry, their ability to manufacture weapons and mobilize things far exceeded. Um, But what Finland had was this idea of Sisu. And so the, the... term is defined this way in this 1940 time article a compound of bravado and bravery of ferocity and tenacity of the ability to keep fighting after most people would have quit and to fight with the will to win Hmm. i love that i love the the language choices in that definition i love the word compound Mm -hmm. it's an amalgam it's a inclusion of these different ingredients that when mixed together is something extraordinary and that it leads with bravery i think is really Mm. interesting because that courage is a Mm. huge component of it because you know uh, you know taking it out of this like winter war context and applying it back into a business world part of it is like what am i going to put my grit on Mm. you know what am i going to put my sisu on what there's bravery in that because you have to make choices and those choices can be difficult. They'll have ramifications. They'll have collateral damage. Because as you're choosing something, you're also not choosing other things. Yeah. And there, that has to be explained too. So that takes bravery. The idea of ferocity and tenacity. Ferocity being the passion, the energy with which you go after something. Tenacity is your willingness to 
breakthrough barriers and challenges that you'll encounter along the way. I love the way those two words are used and mixed together. And then long after most people quit, you're still going at it. Because it has to be something, though, that's worth going after. Right. Right? It can't be a lost cause. And then, you know, to fight with the will to win. There's an outcome. There's an intention. That intention is to win. Whatever win is, whatever success is defined as, which is why you have to define it first before you apply Sisu. So to me, I love this idea because it's rich and powerful. And so it has to be treated kind of with kid gloves, right? Because if you apply it on the wrong thing, there's a lot of damage. Right. I love that word. It's a word that embedded itself immediately in my brain and will be sticky. That's cool. I had never heard of it. Uh, I knew. Uh, I think it, it, there's a story of a sniper in one of those Scandinavian countries. I don't know if it was Finland or Norway. I don't, I don't remember which one, but it was one of those two. That uh, and I think it was that Soviet Winter War deal. Hmm. Just uh, I think he's this. He was this dude who just kind of like got all kinds of uh, native and and <laughs> and and he has like five hundred and some kills Whoa. uh and in the winter time he wore all this white stuff he got shot a bunch of times and he's this famous i don't remember the guy's name but in the sniper community he's this he is like thor you know he's mm. the guy to be or whatever but uh but he kind of embodied that you know that sisu spirit that's very cool like you can't stop me you gotta kill me to stop me kind of indomitable Right. It's interesting to think about because you know Finland isn't a big country. Yeah. You know, and you know I like Formula One racing. Yes. Finland has had multiple Formula One champions huh. in its history. Wow. One a year, one champion a year, top form of racing, elite racing, mm. more than one champion from a very small country. Why is that? Mm. You know, and then I read something like this and I'm like, oh man, mm. <laughs> that has to have something to do with it. Yeah. You know, it's cultural yeah. there. The will to keep fighting after yeah. others have given up. Well, and the point I think that she's making is that it's not genetic. That mm-hmm. it's a it's an attitude. It's learned. That it's something that people adopt and become. Can be cultivated. Yeah. That's why there's a right. chapter in this business book on parenting. Yes. Yeah. Because it can be cultivated, yeah. both in your in your culture, in your communities mm-hmm. that you're involved with, in your home, mm-hmm. yeah. and yourself. You know, that's the, the big thing. Like it's not a, like I was saying, it's not a terminal yeah. condition. You can go, where's my baseline? And then there's you know the book outlines different things you can do to build your grit. Mm. Well, so this part three is really how to. Uh, increase or grow your grit by your ability to stick by getting around some other people by uh, adopting some outside influences uh, you know by being by having somebody either you or somebody else go hey here's a great place to be someday Worthy of your best efforts, worthy of your sacrifice, worthy of uh, the pain and suffering. And, you know, I, my uh, niece asked me to do a, I'll call it the toast, like the 
Mm. It was at her wedding. Mm -hmm. And this was the, I don't know, bride and groom toast. I don't know what they called it. But uh, I thought about this a bunch. And one of the things that I said, and this ties into this, is there are no painless pathways. Mm. All pathways have pain uh, involved in them. Either the pain of regret by taking the soft, wide, easy path and then looking back and going, oh, man, I missed out on all this stuff. And that's painful, very painful. Or it's the pain of taking the difficult path, the straight and narrow path, uh, and the pain of the moment to get the satisfaction and joy uh, uh, the afterglow, if you will, of looking back and going, you know, we gave it our best. We did a great job. Whether we won or not, the satisfaction of the self, uh, the self dignity of going, you know what? I gave it my all, even though it, it killed me or whatever. Um, and I love this quote and we can wrap with this. Uh, this is the, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling you were going to read yes. that. <laughs> I love that. I just love that. It's and there's some good. big poster or something with this thing on it. But uh, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. <laughs> Amen. That, Cheer, I cheers. love that last part. The cold and timid souls who neither know. Yeah. Yeah, that just sounds like the LED glow coming from the living room at 730 of folks who have nothing to live for. You know, I just, if you walk down the street in some neighborhood... At 7.30 in the evening, and it's dark. You see all these glows just coming out. And it's not the Thomas Kincaid glow of the cottage. <laughs> it's this blue light from their TVs. And I was like, folks, don't you have something important to do? And now you're being the Cracker Barrel waitress, though, because you don't know what's going on in there, right? <laughs> well, maybe so. There could be somebody gathering around with yeah. their family and watching yeah. something useful. That's right. It could be, That's right. You know, yeah, it could for be sure. anything. It could be very judgmental. But when you go past house after house after house after house, like, well... Odds are. You know, yeah. Like, don't, isn't there somebody you should be loving on? Somebody you should be playing a game with or reading a book with or taking a walk with or... There's folks that are worth giving our lives to, you know? Absolutely. I look at it almost like, you know, are we, you know, what are we investing in? Yeah. Is every minute we have, we have the opportunity to invest. And if we're investing 
too much in amusement, That's then right. what are we trading off? Now, we need that. Sure. Because you need a some brain downtime. break. You need we those need some things. downtime. Absolutely. You need downtime. And whatever downtime is to you, and I think, you know, generationally and culturally, yeah. that will vary. And yeah. they're all valid definitions, probably. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, looking at every moment you have as an investment, and did I make a wise investment when you reflect on your day, yeah. is a healthy way to convict yourself. Yeah. And have yep. judgment calls about your own decision making and guess what you have a whole other day tomorrow yeah where you can decide to do something different yep. sure well it's a really great book i appreciate you being part of uh, us going through it i love i love how you think and read and ponder and consider things so i was really interested in your view on this thanks uh, for inviting me yeah. thanks you know the perks of being a lodestone client yes, right, right? Hey, free book that's you can right. see this on the video. Yeah, Look at that. Nice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I, I can't give it back because oh, yeah. I've folded the pages and written yeah. all over it in pen. Yep. My yep. kids were like, why are you writing on that in pen? And I'm like, man, because I want it to remember what yeah. I'm writing down. Right. Yeah. You know? That's great. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for helping me be part of it. I appreciate yes. it. Yes. Well, there it is. Uh, so there's our deep dives into grit. We've mm-hmm. got another episode coming up where we're going to... Uh, come up with some applications, some tools, some hacks, Mm -hmm. some little processes, if you will, pocket-sized applications. So that'll be our next episode. Meanwhile, keep reading Grit. Josh Gordon, Full Spectrum Marketing. Always great talking with you, buddy. Likewise. Good job, guys. Sisu. (laughs) Sisu. (laughs) All right, so that's 029, right? In the can. In the can. See you on 30. She tried to make my world the way she thought it should be. Yeah, we were desperate then. What do you think about this Angel's Envy? It's good. Good stuff. I have no complaints. I like the harmonies there. Yeah. Is that good? Tom yes. Petty always did a good job with harmonies. He valued it. Yes. This is a. Uh, Jeff Lynn producing this album. Jeff Lynn was with ELO. Same producer as, yeah. Yeah. And ELO always did this. They love yeah. those harmonies. Yeah. What well, adds so much texture yes. to the sound, you know, to the resonance. Yeah. It's a good technique to use. It's not used as much anymore. Not as much. Which is a miss. Unless you're like a weirdo like me. <laughs> Listen to Barbershop Quartet. Yes. <laughs> you are a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. Touche. <laughs> I accept. <laughs>